Um, this is Communion Sunday. I'm so excited to celebrate communion with all of you. And uh, the most important event in history is a three-part event. Christ's death, burial, his resurrection. Above all the things we talk about, whether it's cultural or personal difficulties, the, those, those three part, that three-part event tells you and me that everything's going to be okay, regardless, because Jesus rose from the dead. So that's what we're here to celebrate today. Let's meditate for a moment on the body of the Lord and what that means to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave your body and we know that something miraculous happened. You took the sins of the world on your body. If you can rise from the dead, you can do that. And also you gave us an example that if we will lay down our lives, we will actually save our lives. Thank you for that model of truth. And we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us celebrate the blood of Jesus. Father, we would like to not need a frequent return to the application of your blood, but we do. We're born in sin. We're shaped in iniquity. Thank you, God, that you have taught us and brought us to more greater freedom from sin, but you still have available for us the blood covering. So we receive it, we partake of it, and we celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm... Uh, I want to get into the Word today, <clears throat> and uh, I've been had this uh, idea germinating, rolling over my mind for quite some time, and it just kind of never came together, and there was the right time to preach it, but this seemed like the right Sunday to preach it, and um, I call it the, the power of giving God just a little more, the power of giving God just a little more. For fear of being accused of... Uh, of, uh, you know, preaching the so-called health and wealth gospel, we sometimes play down the fact that God is interested in improving our lives. He really is. And, um, uh, of course, it's in ways that connect with his holiness, his righteousness, and eternal reward. But nevertheless, the scripture is full of promises of greater joy, greater peace, greater sense of purpose. And within the boundaries of God's will, greater even material blessings, God meeting material needs. And another thing we sometimes make it sound like, to enter into a, a greater experience of God and greater engagement with God and with others, uh, it's only for those who make ultimate sacrifices, just, just for the Christian martyrs that enter into a greater experience of God and greater blessing of God. But... What, what, what kept occurring to me over the last weeks and months is the most beneficial changes in my life or the most beneficial and the things that have brought me into greater engagement with God, greater engagement with others, more meaning and purpose has been the little changes. When I give God just a little bit more in some arena of my life. And whatever... Whatever works in the physical realm has a spiritual counterpart to it. 
because that's why Jesus always used the material and physical world. And, uh, you know, Gene, uh, you and I, Gene Morphus back here, uh, uh, we, when we get together, we talk about often about how to uh, put off the aging process. <laughs> and we talk about supplements and we talk about exercise. And so I was telling you, you, you'll remember this, I was talking about, and I haven't given you an update, but I was, we were talking about strengthening my lower back muscles. And uh, because I want to play golf this summer, and one thing happens, chiropractors love golfers uh, <laughs> because you, you get sore right here from, from, from that unnatural motion, right? And um, so he tells me about the, I don't know what you call that exercise, where you take the, the weight and you, you go down, right? Slow What's it called? Slow repetition. So that, I didn't like the word slow, but he's, he included it. <laughs> I wanted to get over it quickly. But I, I decided to go and I would try it. Well, you know, the first time I tried it, I was only able to do four, four repetitions. And I managed to do three, reputation, three repetitions of four, three sets of four repetitions. And... Um, so I stayed with that for a few times. And then I, one day, I'm going to do five. I bumped up to five. And then I bumped up to six. Last Thursday, I did ten. Three sets of ten reps, right? Yeah. Uh, the things that I get applause for. <laughs> I make these profound points and nothing. I should quit trying to be so deep. <laughs> I, another thing, another thing I, I, I told you, I've told you a story before, but going to a physical therapist who, who determined I was going to increase my stamina, and she told me to start doing aerobic, and I told her, I explained to her I couldn't because I have no cartilage in my left knee and a bone and bone, and I, I can't do any of that. She said, do it anyway. <laughs> I mean... You, People think men are, men are tough. I mean, you, when a woman wants you to do something, it's just no, no for an answer, right? They don't care. And uh, so I, I, I okay, uh, you're smarter than me. You have, a, you have a master's degree, and I don't. So uh, I'll, I'll go. And so I, I, found, I went to every machine in the gym. I couldn't, I could, all of them just hurt right away to, to one. I found the elliptical I could do. I started doing, and I, at the time, my knee was keeping me up at night. It would, I would be like a, toothache. Wake me up in the middle of the night and, and was miserable. I started doing it, you know, like, like 15 minutes, three times a week. Within six weeks, the pain in my knee was gone. It was amazing. Yeah, give that a hand, whatever that's for. <laughs> I, my, my, what's, my, what's your point? My point is, my point is, the great results in our life are often from the smallest efforts. And the smallest changes in our life often result in the greatest release of next level living. When you understand incremental living. Uh, I was, another thing that, that, that I discovered recently, and I, I actually was looking for a sermon illustration, and I found this, I found this technique for getting work done. Because I was, you know, uh, uh, I, I tend to, I, I get lost in thought. 
I, I go off on some rabbit trail of something that I'm interested in that does relate to my preaching and teaching, but it's some narrow interest, and I need to, there's like four or five things, ten things during the week that I need to move forward related to the church and related to you. Projects, events, things that I need, people that I need to meet with, I need to call. So I found out, you know, I was always getting really behind on the things I need to accomplish. And, and, and I, I, I discovered, now this is really silly, but this, I, I don't know. They actually pay people to, to certainly think of these things, I guess, because this Italian researcher discovered the Pomodoro technique for getting work done. Now, the Pomodoro is a tomato, so it, 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 it's based on the fact that on his desk, he had a timer shaped like a Pomodoro tomato or tomato. And <laughs> he, uh, he uh, would set it for 24 minutes and not work on anything but his project, whatever it was, for 24 minutes, and then take a five-minute break and do, do, then do, do that four times and then take a 20-minute break. So... I started trying it, and it, it, was, it was really amazing how much I got my work done because I wasn't going down all the rabbit trails and side trails, but I was staying focused, and I was really good. And, and it's such a rewarding, I mean, it, re, it, it releases endorphins and oxytocin when the timer goes off. And you actually didn't go watch a YouTube video during the time when you were supposed to be organizing an event. Right, try it, try it. Oh, anyway, I, we're not talking about those things so much as the power, the power of a little changes in your life. And we're going to go to Second Kings, and we're going to focus on an event in the life of Second Kings with King Jehoash, or Joash, he's called in some places, and Elisha. <clears throat> now, the Bible says, when Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, that is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, Now pick up the arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. So Elisha is warning, and he's warning Jehoash to turn up his passion just a little bit more. Strike the ground five times. And, you know, Jehoash is trying to be, he feels silly anyway. He said, this, what does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with winning a battle? So he's like, okay. All right, now you happy? And this made Elisha mad. I want you to be passionate. I want you to be more passionate. I want you to be more enthusiastic. I want you to put more energy. I want you to put a little more energy into this. And because you didn't, because, like I said earlier, the physical has a spiritual counterpart. 
The physical is a representation of the divine. This is true in all of your life. And this is part of the principle that's being taught here. The historical background of that story involves King Jehoash. Uh, Elisha was, was found continually throughout his life in the book of 2 Kings. He was king of Israel who reigned from approximately 835 to 796 B.C. And there are many challenges during his reign. And Elisha the prophet was a significant part of his life all the time. He had been a prominent figure during, during all of his reign. And the passage in question reflect, re, reflects an account where Jehoash and the dying Elisha, where Elisha provided the king with an opportunity to, to secure a complete victory over the Arameans. I have a feeling that what stands between mediocrity and absolute success in victory for some of us today is simply giving God a little more passion, a little more effort, a little more. We must return to understanding the untapped power of small obedience. Do you grasp the untapped power of small obediences? Do you understand the connection between the very possible and the extremely impossible? See, we get so caught up in the very dramatic events of Scripture, like Moses parting the Red Sea, making Israel cross, uh, go across on dry ground while the Egyptian armies are bearing down on them. We make such a big deal out of that that we forget. It all started with Moses taking a few minutes out of his day to turn aside to see a bush that was burning that was not consumed. He just did something different in his devotional that day. That's where it all started. If you don't have Moses turning aside to see the burning bush, you don't have Moses parting the Red Sea. Now Moses did the possible, and it led to the impossible. Moses did what required just a little more effort to, to doing what no amount of effort would accomplish. It required the supernatural power of God. What about G, uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000? with five loaves and two fishes. And actually, the Bible says it wasn't just 5,000, but 5,000 plus the men and plus the women and children. And people had large families in those days. So I think we can safely assume it was 20,000 people. Naturally, that's the headline, right? That's what we all talk about. But we forget that it's not possible if a little boy doesn't give Jesus his lunch. If a little boy doesn't skip lunch that day, the 5,000 or 20,000 were not fed. I mean, most of us, some of them don't, but most of us skip lunch once in a while. Just get busy, don't eat lunch. Not a big deal, right? But that day, skipping lunch made it possible for 20,000 people to have lunch. What about the dramatic day of Pentecost where tongues of fire rested on the 120 disciples and the immediate result of that day was 3,000 people who became Christ followers. And the ultimate result is the birth of the global church. We're here today, having church today because of the day of Pentecost. And so we celebrate and we focus on the tongues of fire that rested upon all of them. But it wouldn't have happened if 120 people hadn't been willing to go to a meeting. Yeah. 
Because 120 people were willing to go fellowship, hang out, pray together for a few days, go to a conference together, go to church together for a few days. It released the power of heaven to do this amazing thing we call the day of Pentecost. And of course, there's the story of Lazarus. Jesus' friend Lazarus had died, and we have that amazing moment in John chapter 11, verse 44. John chapter 11, verse 44. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And it says, and Lazarus came forth bound hand and foot. And Jesus said, unwrap the grave clothes. Now that's the headline of the story, right? That's what we all talk about, and that's what we should talk about, because it's pretty cool and pretty amazing that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But the only directive that Jesus gave that day was roll the stone aside. If you don't roll the stone aside, you don't raise the dead man from the dead. If you don't deal with the stone, you don't get to have God deal with the corpse. If you don't do the difficult, God can't do the impossible. The point is appropriating the miracle power of God that brings blessing, hope, peace, and success, and the unexplainable, but nevertheless, real inner joy that comes from knowing knowing your life is alignment with God is when you do the doable thing. You do the possible thing, and then it releases God to do the impossible thing. Apostle John said it this way, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Wow, boy, God just has so, such a burden to obey the Lord. Well, I think you got a few things wrong. We must return to the understanding that every single aspect of our lives is an engagement with God. I believe this is the key to the whole thing. When we begin to understand that everything, every single aspect of our life is an engagement with God. The ancient mystics really understood this better than I think we do today. You've probably heard of Brother Lawrence, wrote a famous classic book called Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence was a uh, Carmelite brother uh, in the 17th century who is known for his spiritual insights and known for his practical approach to serving God. He believed that all aspects of his life were an engagement with God. Brother Lawrence most, spent most of his day working in the kitchen. But Brother Lawrence emphasized the importance of maintaining a constant awareness of God's presence. Everything he did, including peeling the potatoes, washing the floor, he believed was service to God. He believed when he performed those with love and devotion, even those simple actions like, like peeling the potatoes, like cleaning the floor, like cleaning the dishes, for him there was no distinction between sacred and the sacred and the secular. So that's why that book has lasted. The book, the book, Practicing the Presence of God, will be around forever because it taps in on a, an ultimate truth. And that is everything you do has the potential of being a, a gift to God. Everything you do, every movement that you make, your very facial expressions, your very posture, the way you greet people, the way you talk to people, the way you engage with people, everything that you do has the potential of being a gift to God. An auto mechanic told me one time how frustrated he was hiring young men to work for him 
who moves so slow around the shop. <laughs> and and he, this guy, was, he's, he was, he's since passed away, but he, he was really good. He was one of the best in the area, worked on high-performance engines, and um, he, was, he was aggressive when he worked. He flew. And he, he was not a spiritual man or a godly man, but he understood. He understood there's something incongruous with, with being the human that you were meant to be when you behave in a slothful, slow manner. And you're not energetic. You know, you know the word enthusiasm? I just was talking to Maxine about this a couple of days ago. You know the word enthusiasm is too... It's either Latin or Greek. I can't remember. I believe it's Greek. Yeah, it would be Greek. Because theos is Greek. So it would be Greek. Enthusiasm is, comes from two Greek words. En theos. Theos is the word for God. So in, to be enthusiastic is to be in God. To be engaged and energetic and passionate is to be godly. Jesus said, I mean Ecclesiastes said, I should say, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Then there's Colossians 3.23 to jump to the New Testament. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I thought of that auto mechanic and I thought of my own dad. My dad ran restaurants and dad was, boy, he was passionate about cooking food. He would run, he would literally run around the restaurant. He, if there was a Guinness World Book of Records for speed at cutting, slicing tomatoes, he would have won the Guinness World Book of Records. And, and I, I remember uh, every summer my m mother would laugh at him because um, like, like right about now, Dad would start whistling. And we all knew why he was whistling. And he would be moving around the house and going to the garage. And he had an old trailer that he would start loading stuff in. He was getting ready to go to Austin, Texas, three, three hours away from where we lived. Because every summer he cooked for a big camp meeting in Austin, Texas. Dripping Springs, out in the hill country of Austin. And he was feeling the presence of God. <laughs> he was feeling the, you know, and we don't, we don't get this. We, we think, oh, if I'm going to do something for God, I, I, maybe I need to be a preacher like Pastor Phil, or I need to, I need to uh, uh, be a worship leader like Christy and Pastor Jay, or I need to be a youth pastor like Pastor Steve, or, or, or I need to run... Uh, ministry of special needs like Megan over here, which, which that, those things is fabulous. I mean, it's great. Well, yes, we need all those people. But what if you begin to see every move that you make as having divine potential? What if you begin to see every task that you do as having divine potential? What if you begin to see that even after the service in a little bit, when you begin to go around and greet people and say hi to them, and introduce yourself. What if you begin to see that as a sacred moment of, 
opportunity for the release of divine power, for the engagement with divine power, and also putting in motion something big that God could do if you begin to do the little thing that you can do. Does that that communicate? All right? We are channels... We are channels of divine energy to flow through, somebody said. I don't know who said it, but I I saw it and wrote it down. Also, we reflect the image and likeness of the divine. Now, not, not only is every single thing we do an engagement with God's presence, every action is an engagement with God's wisdom and truth. And this is, a, this is a more profound insight, that it's an engagement with God's... We learn God's wisdom and God's truth by engaging with our physical world. As Thomas Aquinas, another mystic, said, the end of all our action is the contemplation of truth. And the essence of Aquinas' statement is by emphasizing that every action has a higher purpose. See, that, that's what we're saying. Every action has a higher purpose. You know, the, 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 one of the problems in our culture today is we've stripped physical action, we've stripped the divine purpose out of it. So even physical touch, even physical touch that leads to the deepest physical intimacy is just a physical act according to the culture, according to what we're being taught. It's just a physical act. Your body is just your body. Whatever your body does doesn't really matter. It doesn't, has no significance beyond whether it felt good to you or not. But according to reality, if we return to reality, we realize, no, no, my physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am created in the image of God. So every physical action has within it divine potential. Every physical action has the potential of release of divine power and consequences beyond what I could even think or imagine. And I could illustrate that, but I think I won't take the time to do that now. So that's what Thomas Aquinas was talking about. Well, uh, for instance, let me, let me kind of try to bring it down. When I acknowledge you, when I look you in the eye, give you a firm handshake, maybe invite you to join me for lunch, include you in my plans, or listen to one of your problems with empathy, I am engaging with the truth that you have intrinsic divine value, that you are made in the image of God. And so I am investing in, in divine uh, uh, economy, God's divine economy. I'm divesting, investing in God's divine economy. And when you do invest in God's divine economy, you know what happens? Multiplication. Multiplication happens when you invest in divine, God's divine economy. Moses invests a few minutes in front of a burning bush. A little boy invests a few pieces of fish and bread. Some people at the tomb of Lazarus invest a little bit of physical energy to move a rock. And it released the power of Almighty God to transform their lives and to do something that they would never forget. The word atonement is a big theological word. 
And sadly today, it's come in the church to just mean atonement. Yeah, I'm atoned. Thank God I'm atoned. I've been forgiven of all my sins. And, and that's, that's pretty cool, you know. It's pretty, that's pretty awesome. It's worth celebrating, that's for sure. But it's not just a word that signifies your forgiveness of sins and being accepted by God. It also represents a return to wholeness, which, which comprehends that every single thing about me and everything I do from my posture to my tone to my voice to my physical effort is restored to complete unity with God. I'm at one. At one month is what it means. I'm at one with God. And so everything in this world is an act of spiritual spiritual observation. Everything I do is a potential act of worship. Everything I do is a potential act of releasing divine energy into the world. I'm telling you, this is, this is truth. Whether I'm delivering it well or not is irrelevant. This is truth. In him we live. Paul said to a room of skeptics. I thought that was very interesting that he did not try to give some apologetic about all the prophecies that have been fulfilled about Jesus and, or the, the cosmological arguments of the universe, which are all true and, and, and have their place to argue, of course. He said, here's the reality, people. In him we live and move and have our being. We must return to understanding that Jesus came to make it easier to experience God, not harder. I don't want for a moment to give you the false impression that God will never ask you to walk away from, say, a great job because of your Christian principles or because you are called into vocational ministry. I wouldn't want to take you from the rich experience of God calling you something like 40 days of fasting and prayer or great acts of service like those of you that I'm so humbled by and honored in this room that um, are taking in foster children in the name of Jesus. God bless you. The rich young ruler was called to give all he had to the poor. The apostle Paul's life was radically transformed when he had to switch teams from being a Pharisee to being an apostle of Jesus. And then... The disciples revealed in one place, Lord, we've given up all to follow you. So I'm not negating that place for extreme missionary-type sacrifice and commitment to the life and the life of the believer. However, Jesus said something. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, we have gotten the idea that obedience is always painful, right? In fact, the word obey sounds painful, doesn't it? Obey, obey. It just sounds terrible. How many, how many of you just get excited about obeying? Because <laughs> you, you're thinking, if I obey, it means it wasn't my idea. If I obey, I didn't want to do it. Or I wouldn't have had to obey. I would have just done it. I wouldn't have had to think about it. But think about it. Right now, at this moment. At this moment, you know, every one of you in this room, right now, you are in the exercise of obedience. 
Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, so much the manner of some as you see the day approaching. So everybody in this room, we're all in a state of obedience. Now, some of you are shocked to hear that because you didn't mean to. <laughs> you didn't intend to commit an act of obedience today to God. You, 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 didn't even, you, might not, you might have just come because somebody pressured you to be here. But you are at least in a state of accidental obedience right now. Is it, is it miserable? Is it like you're sitting on a padded seat and the air conditioner wasn't working in the first service, but the air conditioner is working now. And um, you heard some great music. And you're hearing an incredible talk right now. <laughs> you know? But you know, God is blessing you. God is going to bless you for sitting here today. And how hard is that? <laughs> now, maybe for some, this is not a good talk. So you're like, you have no idea how painful it is. You know, like, a, like I said the other day, uh, I, I think I posted on Facebook, there's a fine line between a long, boring sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> so I understand. Uh, I understand. Listening to us go on and on up here can be painful. But no, imagine that God would give you all, all these commands that are just not grievous, that are just, uh, just go sit in church for an hour I even have childcare. I can put my kids somewhere else. I mean, and uh, on a padded seat, air conditioning, and with reasonable communication coming from the pulpit, it doesn't just bore me to death. I try to be, you know, I try to be like the cross-eyed javelin thrower. I, I, I may not be good, but uh, I'll keep you uh, alert. <laughs> So before you think about selling your house and going to live on a Native American reservation or giving your life savings to dig wells in sub-Saharan Africa or, or going, on a, uh, going on a tour of the Far East anxiously trying to find the meaning of life and that obscure calling of God in your life, why don't you stop and consider the very doable thing that God is clearly wanting you to do or that you know you should do, that you know would please him, the thing that actually requires a minimal amount of effort or change and start practicing that thing. Do you know, do you know that hugging increases the love hormone oxytocin? A 20-second hug, according to researchers, reduces the level of stress blood pressure, and heart rate. They say that a hug for 10 seconds a day helps to boost your immune system, ease depression, and reduces fatigue. That's all you got to do. 10 seconds. Some of you haven't been doing that with your significant others. You haven't been doing that with the significant others in your life. Well, I want to transform my relationship. I just want to, I want to see God come in and just, well, just 10 seconds a day, do this. Okay? 
John Gottman talks about um, contempt being one of the, he called four horsemen of a marriage ending. Is con- contempt is one of the four horsemen. And one of the main reasons contempt is, is um, uh, communicated is eye-rolling. <laughs> when your significant other is, and your partner is talking or engaging your engine, you roll your eyes. I thought about that. You know, how hard would it be for me to stop rolling my eyes? I mean, how difficult is that? How, how difficult it would be to just say, I'm going to, when, she, when he, she talks, I'm going to give them my full attention, and I am not going to roll my eyes. And, but according to John Gottman, that causes marriages to end. It's not the, and, and I talk to people all the time, people come to my office and talk about their marriages and stuff, and very rarely, I mean, almost never is it, well, they don't, if it's a wife, and it's usually, you know, the wife who would say, he doesn't pay the bill. Almost invariably, it's the guy who works hard, and he pays the bills and all this, but he's causing pain with these little silly things. Uh, I love the quote of Dwight from The Office. Um, who, who, who I, I, his last name is Rain or Ran. I, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I noticed he's talking about his faith and Jesus and all that lately in his real life. But, but uh, on The Office, he makes this statement that I think should, should be in the Bible. It's so good. He said, whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. <laughs> this sermon, you know, could have, been, could have been about effort or to use the biblical word fervency. We're really just talking about a range of experiences that will increase my experience of God if I just give God a little bit more if I just give God a little bit more. I, I like the image of the old-style, non-programmable uh, um, thermostats, heating and cooling thermostats. I turned it down in the first service. It didn't work. But uh, So I, I like this image, and that's the image that kept coming to my mind when I was preparing the sermon. Uh, because it's non-programmable. You can't program your responses. You have to, every day, make a decision. You have to, every day, make a decision that you're going to give God a little bit more. Every week, you've got to make decisions. You're going to give God a little bit more. Constant decision. But, but I thought of this. You know, if, if, if it's not comfortable, let's say it's on 60 degrees, and it's, it's wintertime, and it's cool, well, you're, you're not going to... You don't have to turn it up 20 degrees. You just turn it up, like, depending how you like it, say 5 degrees, or 7 or 8 degrees. Just turn it up a little bit. And it, it'll, it'll make a total difference between being comfortable and uncomfortable. Or, or if, if uh, you know, uh, I, I just, last night, mine was on 74, and it was a little warm, a little stuffy. So I just turned it down to 70. So, uh, what God is asking us today is just turn the volume up, just turn the energy up, just turn the interest up, just turn your attentiveness up, just turn your effort up just a little bit more, just four or five degrees, and you do that. And it may be incremental change. It may be like me lifting weights. 
It may be that when you get a new comfort level, then you change it to another five degrees. And after a few months, you're a whole different person because you were willing to do the little thing. Let's, get, let's just bring it down to where we really we get real here. Let's say you come into service and you don't sing at all. So next week, if you're, if you're like a non-singer, I do not sing. And a lot of men don't sing, you know. If you don't, well, next, year, why don't, next week, come to church and hum. Just hum, okay? I, yeah, I'm sitting next to people. So just hum, okay? And, and if you're one of those people, you know, that you have your, keep your arms folded or your hands in your pocket during worship, uh, try, the Bible says to we're to lift our hands, all of the scriptures, lift your hands. It doesn't say how high. You ever notice that? It doesn't say, I, I doesn't say how high. Now, Megan, you're looking at me because you're, you're, you go for it. Megan just, you know, I like that, by the way. That's great. But some people aren't ready to go to your level. They're just not. So, so why don't you just do this? It didn't say how high, so just lift your hands this high. What, what are you doing? You're, you say, oh, that's not, that doesn't matter, Pastor. Oh, it matters a lot because you are focusing now. You're focusing your mind. Your mind will follow your body. You ever notice that? Your mind will generally follow your body. If you, if you take your body to a, a game, a sporting event, you're, you're, you take your body, your mind will usually go with you. <laughs> this is deep, I know. If you take your mind to a, a restaurant and the, food, the smells of the food, if you, if you take your mind, the body there, your mind will catch up. <laughs> Feelings are like the tail of a kite. They follow the kite wherever it goes. So this is, this is important. So uh, you're someone, it, let's say you're someone who you, uh, and we're not judging you. We know there are reasons. We, we, don't, have, we don't have like the, the uh, um, worship police uh, gauging how fast you leave to get to your car. But if you're one of those people that when the service is over, man, you are booking it. You, are, you, you, you set a record for getting to your car and getting out of here. We're not judging you. You have, maybe you have things you've got to get home for. I, it's none of, none of our business. But how about if you just next week, you come back, or even, you could even do it today, and you just hang back. And I would say introduce yourself to somebody, but that's way too radical. Just say hi to somebody. Good to see you today. And then run to your car. <laughs> Start giving God just a little bit more. And what about those of you, you want to witness, and you would love to be a just amazing witness who could share Jesus with somebody and take them through the Gospels and the story of the resurrection, have them fall on their knees and get saved. But you're so afraid. Why don't you just try this week to have a conversation about God with someone? Just bring God up in a conversation. I had such a conversation the other day with God. And we had this wonderful conversation about God. Give God just a little bit more. Roll the stone away. Give him some fish and bread. Turn aside to see the burning bush. The only reason you won't give God a little bit more is if you're afraid of Pentecost. You're afraid it might end in crossing the Red Sea. You're afraid that God might send a big old revival to our church. 
I'm not afraid. I'm hungry. So I want to give God just a little bit more. Let's stand. I want us to I want us to sing this song. How many of you know the doxology? You know what the doxology is? So those of you who know it, you're going to have to, I'm going to have to ask you to give a lot more because I want you because you're going to have to make up for the people who don't. And they'll learn it. It's, it just says, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Place him all creatures here below. Um, and, and I just went blank. So I'll, I'll, I'll remember as I start singing it. Uh, but anyway, we're going to sing it. Because all of this stuff I'm talking about is making your life an act of worship. So that you're going to try to make everything you do an act of worship. And you're going to start trying to treat every space that you're in as sacred space. The world belongs to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye have. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, that's beautiful. You're doing good. You're doing great. I want our prayer partners to get in place, so we sing it again. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Here below, praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I think there's somebody here today who you feel condemned. You feel guilty because you believe you should be doing something incredible for God. And I want you to I want you to let go of that today. I want you to relax with God and say, God, I'm just going to give you a little bit more today. You may you when I when I invite you forward in a minute, I, I want you to come and get prayed for though, whoever you are. I want you to come get prayed for. And just tell the prayer partners, I need, I need a touch from God. I need God to lift the heavy spirit that's come upon me. A heaviness is lifted on me, and I'm going to need God to lift it. I want to I sing this one more, at least one more time. And if you have any, some of you just need a touch from God today. You're just burdened. You just need a touch from God. You know, many, many times, and we used to do this a lot more uh, in my early Christian life and, and church experience, but there was something about when a preacher would do what I'm doing right now and would say, come forward. And in a sense, there's nothing magical about walking forward. But maybe there is something supernatural about giving God that physical expression of coming to Him. Maybe there's something to it. 
Maybe something we've left behind that we need to return to. So some of you out there, you need a touch from God. You need God to, deal, to touch your life. And it's not even about a specific thing. It's just general. You need God to touch your life. And then there are those in this room who you have needs. You have stuff going on. You need to answer to prayer. You've got a doctor's appointment this week. You're waiting on tests to come back. You've got a job interview. Please let these prayer partners do what they love to do, which is pray for you. We're going to sing it again. And as we sing, you can go ahead and start coming. Please do. Praise God from all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. Whatever posture you're comfortable with, would you lift your hands? At whatever level you're comfortable with, would you tell God how much you love Him? Tell Him how much you love Him. Tell Him how much you appreciate Him. Tell Him how much you thank Him that He's given us an easy burden and a light yoke. And He's made worshiping and knowing Him a blessing. Father, we love you. Father, we praise you. Thank you that you've given us the light burden and the easy yoke. Thank you, God, that you brought us into an experience of learning of you. Not just being ordered by you, but learning of you and learning by you. Father, I pray that you would release a spirit of power and energy. Release the Holy Spirit as we, as we move into being what we should be. As we move into, we move into that, those simple acts of obedience. And those simple gestures of, of, of passion toward you, God, we ask you. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him I hope you have an amazing Memorial Day weekend plan. Uh, please, uh, prayer partners are going to be down here. I'm going to dismiss you, but if you still want prayer, please come forward. They'd love to meet you and pray with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.